In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly King, Paraclete, Spirit of Truth, You who are everywhere present and fill all things, Treasury of all that is good, Master of life, come dwell within us, cleanse us from all stain, and save our souls, O good one. Mary, cause of our joy, pray for us. Amen. Well, we're going to look now at a very interesting story, narration, in the Gospel of John. It's the story of the woman taken in adultery. And uh, it's interesting for many reasons. One, it clearly interrupts the story that we're in. We're at the Feast of Sukkoth. Jesus is in Jerusalem. And he's developing this whole notion, first of um, water, let him come to me, and out of his mist, Jesus' mist will flow rivers of living water. And then the theme of light, which will begin again, right in verse 12 of chapter 8. But between 7.53 and 8.11, there's this story about the woman taken into adultery. It doesn't fit like it interrupts the flow. Uh, it's found in some manuscripts in the Gospel of Luke at chapter 19, not even found in Luke. It's old. It's not in some of the Western manuscripts, but in some of the early Eastern manuscripts. I think the best explanation is it's a precious story about something that happened in the life of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit was determined it wasn't going to get lost. So he didn't care where it got put, so long as it got put. And so we have this beautiful story right in the middle of uh, the Feast of Sukkoth and this mounting conflict with the rulers of the people. So the story uh, begins, uh, the, the introductory line, which is probably not there, um, and each one went to his home. That's 753. That's probably an editor. Now he's ready to tell us his story. But Jesus, this is after all the conflicts and so forth that we discussed last week, each one went to his home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives to pray. At dawn, he went into the temple, and the people came to him. And taking his seat, he taught them. So he's back at his place, uh, presumably at the Feast of Sukkoth, as this insertion uh, from where it's put. Um, all right. Um, then the scribes and Pharisees led a woman caught in adultery, and standing her in the middle, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses enjoined us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? First and foremost, the law said that both die. Where's the man? Why is this a story only about a woman? It takes two to have adultery. 
They don't care about the man. If he committed adultery, you know, then, you know, we'll let him go. It says in Deuteronomy 22.22, and also in Leviticus 20.10, if a man is caught lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman as well as the woman. And so you shall purge the evil from Israel. Now, at a later time, uh, in the post-exilic period, um, our Lord's time, um, the death penalty ceased to be applied to adultery. It was kept uh, for murder, but adultery was punished by exclusion from the community. So you see what they're going to do now. They're going to quote the law to him to try to catch him in a three-pronged problem. If he says stoner, then he's more difficult than the practice of the law of the day. If he says don't stoner, but yes, she committed adultery, well, then he's lax. If he says, you know, just let her go, you see? So we have this, they're trying to catch him. They don't care about this woman. They don't care whether her whole life, and the whole way the story is described, you see, they let a woman caught in adultery and standing her in the middle to humiliate her. You see, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. So where's the man? How can you catch only half of an adultery? They want this woman as a plant to trip him up. That's really what they're after, you see? And so, in the law, as I said, yes, the law said that. You see, um, in the early days of this law of adultery, it was considered mostly an offense against the man because um, the woman should have intercourse only with her husband so that he knows all the children are his. If the man is, is um, uh, profligate, that's going to affect his household. Uh, still wrong. And you have these powerful statements in the book of Deuteronomy and so forth, book of Proverbs. Huh? Um, and if you look at Proverbs 5, 1 to 23, we don't have time. See, it's the shame and the corruption that follows from a life of adultery. And um, Sirach 23 has the same type of a thing with the um, significant remark uh, that not only does the man dishonor the rights of his partner's husband, he's stealing the rights of the husband, but he's also dis dishonoring his own marriage bed. Now this begins this understanding of mutuality. That it's not just uh, a man having relations with another man's wife uh, because that woman belongs to him and those children should be his and he's got to know that. Now it's the whole notion of the relationship. Now if we had time we could develop that but it's not really the point of the story in front of us now which is as St. Augustine says this is a story of miseria et misericordia 
of mercy, misery and mercy. And it's a beautiful story. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about it uh, later. Now, now, what do you say? They said this, trying him, that they might have something to accuse him of. Now, just can you see how cold Jesus is to these people? Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Just leaned over. Oh, you could fill this room with books trying to guess what he wrote. Was it a part of the law? What, what, what did he write? Nobody knows. We can ask him when we get to heaven, but right now we don't know what he wrote. Uh, he's writing on the ground. Um, and they kept on asking him. You see? It says... So he straightened up and said to them, Let the sinless one among you be the first to throw a stone. What a wise answer, right? He's not saying whether the law is good or bad. He's just saying, If there's a sinless one among you, let him be the first to throw the stone. And bending over again, he wrote on the ground. Went back to writing on the ground, doodling on the ground, whatever he was doing. No more attention to them. They don't deserve it. They're using a human being to trap Jesus. They have no care. They're not worried about this woman. That you know she's committed adultery. How are they going to fix up the marriage? How that she's going to? Re how can we restore her? No, they're going to stone her, kill her. If they can get Jesus to take the hard line, in which case he'd be discredited with the majority of the Jewish people of the day. Okay. But they, hearing this, were leaving one by one, beginning with the elders. These, the elders, are smart enough to know they've got sin. Uh, so they leave. And he was left alone, and the woman was still in the middle, humiliated. You see? And... Uh, now I have to find the rest of this text. Um, well, I'll just read it here. Oh, there it is. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? You know, there's an, an antiphon. It's an old chant, so we don't sing it any well, I guess, in Latin. Nemo te condam navit mulier, and it goes... Nemo That's a question. Nemo domine. You can hear her. She's frightened. Nemo, Lord. I mean, no one, Lord. Nemo domine. Then again, quiet. Nekego te condemnabo. Vade et amplius noli pecare. The majesty. This is what chant can do, you see. It's a musical exegesis of the text. It's not just music to sing. And so, don't sin anymore. So, has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. Now she's waiting. What now? Nor do I condemn you. And from now on, do not sin anymore. She was used. They might have set it up. They might have, who knows? You know? Anyway, I don't condemn you. 
but don't sin anymore. So he's, he's not soft on adultery. He's just merciful to an adulteress who was being used. They didn't care about her. You know, whether she was in a lousy marriage, who knows? Um, you see? And so, uh, it's a story of mercy. It's a story of wisdom. That he would be able to do that. You see? Now, this notion, you see, is not far from the notion of covenant. There's a notion in the Bible, it's called Hahata Hagudullah, the great sin. The great sin is adultery because it shatters family. That's the great sin. But the same phrase, the great sin, is used in the book of Exodus and elsewhere to refer to covenant infidelity. The people are adulterous because they go after and consort with other gods besides the Lord. And that's adultery. There was I met a man whose wife had committed adultery and was living with another man and he was in such pain that for the first time in my life I saw Hosea. And through that pain Hosea learned what God was really like And that's the whole prophecy of Hosea. Amen.